0: the XEGS Cart-by-Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8 gaming system. In episode 9, we conjure up a magical review while battling evil in Necromancer, and we strap on jetpacks and blast off to rescue human souls trapped by an alien force in the
1: budget game Excelsior. Now here are your hosts, Bill, David, Kieran, and Michael. So let's kick off with the news. So unfortunately, David can't make the recording today. He had some personal stuff um, to deal with. So hopefully he will be back for episode 10. So uh, hello, David, wherever you are. I'm sure you're listening to us, and we uh, look forward to having you back. Okay, this is one big bit of news this month. Um, as everyone knows, we always want to help promote uh, other people's podcasts, especially if they're Atari-related. And um, there's a great new one that started up recently, and uh, anyone who listens to the show knows we're all massive um, Atari Lynx fans, especially after our little... Um, <laughs> little side path that we took on one of the previous episodes where i think we ended up talking about half an hour in the end um but yeah um there is a new atari links podcast which is absolutely fabulous called the Handycast, and it's just started up i think they're on episode three now so they've done um the links they've done blue lightning and they've done electrocop i think he's doing rampage next that will probably be out by the time people are listening to this and actually on the page for it he has actually got kind of a schedule of, of what games he's planning to cover in what episodes which is a, a lot more organized than we are let's just say <laughs> that so people can kind of get in there in advance and and um get their thoughts in and send them over to him and and mark the guy who presents it great guy i've chatted to him a fair bit already on facebook i've given him lots of nice information and tidbits scans and trivia and all sorts of things Help on help on his way because everyone knows what a huge links fan I am. So um, you'll see um, plenty of little little um, bits of information from me in, in in the shows as well. And he has actually asked me if I would come on one of the future episodes. So there's a good chance that I will uh, moonlight a little bit and um, do some little segments on his podcast for him as well. So yeah, um, I recommend everyone has a listen. I've listened to the first few sh- the first few shows and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed them yeah and it's great because he's actually relatively new to the links he just picked it up you know yeah. in the last
2: five years i think or a couple of years so yeah he's doing a great job so far
0: cool so uh michael what's your news well uh bill and i finally met at the living computer museum in seattle for the vintage computer festival pacific northwest or vcf pnw <laughs> um and um also met kevin uh sabbath for the first time as well never met him oh cool. uh, both of them were. Uh, much taller than what they sound on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, how tall are you, um, Bill? You're like 6'1"? I'm one. 6. Oh, 6? Six? Six, okay. six even, I think. Last okay. I, I checked. I'm 5'11", so you seem... To... I'm,
2: I'm shrinking, though. I think. Yeah, we all are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was—I uh, kind of was there to uh, kind of sort of help out when uh, you guys needed to go to the bathroom, but you guys, I guess, had big bladders because you never asked me to step behind the counter. So I just walked around and looked at people's displays and spoke to people and sat in two presentations on Saturday... Um, with a Dick Whipple, who did Tales from an Early Computer Hobbyist, and uh, uh, Paul Lawton, who was uh, the programmer of Atari BASIC, and Paul was a real big fan of the 1200 So He stopped by the Atari booth, and you and uh, Kevin tried your hand at Atari Assembler, which was the cartridge that Paul's wife created, uh, while he looked on. It was actually kind yeah. of cool. It was like, I, wow.
2: I wrote my first actual assembly language program. I was very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> After, like, 35 years well, you guys are like <laughs> little kids like,
0: well, what if we try this what if we try that how is it oh, You're yeah. just so excited about it <laughs> <laughs> so that was really cool you can probably talk about your experiences more later on but uh, as far as um, I built a, a computer bench I now have two which completes uh, They're two by 64 feet in my garage, so now I can start recapping all my systems, but my garage isn't heated, so it gets a bit cold out there, so I can only do it for short sprints. Um, as far as acquisitions, I haven't really been collecting much lately, just kind of cut back a lot because I just don't have any room. Obviously, even with those benches, they're filled, but I did pick up a 1020 plotter. It doesn't come with a cover, so I need to hunt that down to complete the set. And I also picked up a Lantronic Serial to Ethernet adapter. I'm going to try going online with my 850. And finally, I just want to give a shout out to my childhood friend, Dave Clark. Uh, as we're doing this recording, he's currently competing in the Kong Off number six in uh, between March 16th and 18th in Banning, California. Uh, he's seated seventh right now. Uh, if he wins, he'll go in the Final Four and be competing against guys like Steve Weeby and Billy Mitchell, maybe, because he's... Cheat, yeah, Jake. Steve is... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Mm. I didn't want to go there. I don't <laughs> <clears throat> but But... Um, He's actually Steve Wiebe is uh, number five right now, and he's seven, and Billy's eleven. So he might not even—he's met mm. him, but he might not be competing against him. So that's about yeah, what's going he, on with me. His Good rankings,
1: luck, his rankings dropped somewhat after the recent um, yeah. reveal. Yeah, that was say.
0: that was pretty uh, that was pretty shocking, especially the uh, you know after hearing about the dragster issue. So mm,
1: mm. there
0: is drama in the retro community. <laughs> Isn't there always? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. There's a there's a good
2: XKCD about uh, uh, communities arguing about stuff, and the example that he had was uh, people who are fans of silly straws. (laughs) (laughs) And my my wife was in a knitting group, and and the knitting group actually broke into factions because people couldn't get along. So yeah, it's it's yeah, just part of humanity. Is people. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Remember things were fun. (laughs) Uh huh. Uh huh. And that's all that's been going on with me. What about you, Karen?
1: So, yeah, uh, as usual, I've been super busy. Um, it's hard, to, and as I always say this, I think, actually, but it's always hard to remember what I talked about in the last episode and uh, what I was planning to talk about in this one. But, uh, damn, my old age, that's all I can say, <laughs> really. My brain is not what it used to be. Well,
0: in five months. So, uh,
1: yeah, I'm on <laughs> yeah, right? the, the wrong side of 40 now. It's just all just downhill from here. I think <laughs> <yeah>, <can> her <laughs> quite Stop. No, no, I deny. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, first of all, what I will mention is um, <coughs> cheap plug here, um, but I have uh, another new Atari 8-bit book out. Yay. So, regular followers of the show will know that last year I did a little book called The A to Z of Atari 8-bit Games, Volume One. It was a, a digital book, and now Volume Two is out for the same price of just one pound ninety-nine, or the US price is about three dollars, depending on what the exchange rate is at the current time. So it has 78 game reviews in it covering the whole alphabet and goes right from the original seventies games right up to modern day homebrews. And once volume three is out, then we are planning to put all three volumes together and turn them into an actual print book.
0: Oh, wow. So nice. the, um,
1: yeah, the, 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 uh, demand for them has been pretty high. Um, the first book sold really well. The second book, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I haven't seen because, uh, it's only just come out. um, but uh, yeah, the, the sales figures have been it's been sufficiently good enough for the publishers to say yeah, let's turn it into a print book as well. So the the first print book I'm actually going to do is the Atari 2600. That is almost ready to go into a print book. And what I'll be doing with that is compiling the, all three volumes that I've done, so one, two, and three, and then I'm going to add an extra um, load of bonus reviews for the print just for the print book as well. So it'll be like an ultimate edition basically. So I'll do the same with the the Atari 8-bit one as well.
0: Oh, that's great! Because I I got the volume one, and I was yeah. going to get volume two, and then, but I always wish that um, there was a a you know hard paper version mm. because digital is you know it's okay. It's all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I prefer to read a proper book. I'm the same. Yeah, exactly. I would much rather have the the physical thing. Yeah. yeah. So now, so now um, let's mention something else that I haven't done. Um, so I'm sure you guys have all seen this, but oh, yeah. uh, there's been a brilliant new homebrew release. Have uh, the Atari a bit of Stunt Car Racer. So, this just had to give this a mention. So, this is an amazing conversion of the well known ST and Amiga game by Fandle, who's done loads of the other great bit, great 8 bit ports we've had recently for the Atari. I like, I like great, great Bit. Great Bit's a good name. <laughs> great
2: Bit. <laughs> yeah, that works, Great Bit. I like that. Yeah. Atari Great Bit.
0: <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> oh, God. Quick to the internet. <laughs>
1: Trademark it now. Yeah. So originally programmed by uh, the legendary Jeff Cramond, this version is actually based upon the lesser-known 64 port, but it actually surpasses the 64 original in many ways because it has more colors and a better frame rate thanks to the uh, faster CPU. So the only minor problem with the the port is that it does require 128k of RAM. So if you have an unmodded Zegs, you won't to play it. Wow. <laughs> but yeah but i've got a one th- i've got a 130 xc so i play play on that uh problem solved
2: yeah um near dairy actually sent me like a, an early like alpha version to test out mm. and i was really really aching like can i can i please show this at ECF? like let me know when it's okay to like let people know i have this and he finally gave me the okay because they were starting to announce it but um but yeah it's it's uh it was pretty addictive um i remember seeing the game on my friend's amiga um when I was a kid, and then in the just in the past couple of years, learned that there was a C64 port, and I was like, "Oh man, why didn't we get an Atari one?" And yeah. then lo and behold, <laughs> <laughs> we get this excellent version. Um, I forget. Yeah. What, it's the Rapidus. Is the 16-bit upgrade right for the for the uh, Atari 8-bit CPU? Um, Near posted, I think, a video of the game running on the Rapidus, and it's like super, super smooth and fast, like beautiful frame rate. So
1: yeah i i played the hell out of the st version um when i was younger i bought it on the st and the st version is better than the amiga version because it's faster again oh, thank you faster yeah. cpu so and in fact i actually did i've actually got a video on my youtube channel a retro event a few years back we hooked an amiga and an st up to play link up stunt car racer Yeah, because it's one of the games where you can hook a st up to an amiga to, to play the game and um we had this kind of little fanball fanboy war going on you can hear it all in the video <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant because all the amiga fanboys were going oh you know the st is not as good as Amiga." but yeah now's the time for the st to shine because <laughs> the st is better at 3d because the amiga custom chips mean nothing when it comes to 3d yep so and the st has a faster cpu and can draw the screen quicker um because of the bitmap uh, I think it's to do a bitmap display isn't it i believe don't quote me on that um <laughs> But uh, yes, and the funny thing was that when you put them side by side, it was actually very, very clear to see that the ST version was smoother and faster. And actually, the, the uh, ST version paused every now and again to let the Amiga catch up with it, oh. which was quite funny. <laughs> That's Suck awesome. on that, Commodore. <laughs> yes, and there's a nice another Atari diversion. Uh, not the Lynx this time, now he diverged into the ST so yes as usual i've done lots of stuff for retro gamer magazine and there's two articles in particular that i'll mention that will greatly interest all the atari 8 bit fans so in issue 175 i did the making of dark chambers which include an in-depth interview with the man behind the atari 8 bit version chuck peavy a great guy good friend of mine um and uh, i also did another making of for the classic xd arcade game venture that was in issue 177. And as part of that, I interviewed uh, Sal Esquivel, who did the Atari 8-bit port for Video61. So there's a nice little interview with him about that in there as well and talking about like the improvements he did to the Atari 8-bit version and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I've put the links for for those in there if people want to take a closer look, um, as I always do. And last but definitely not least, I'm about to launch a brand-new print book through a uk publishing company called unbound and the book is called eight bit on a budget home computing's best pocket money purchases oh wow yeah all the listeners of this show will obviously know about budget games by now because i talk about them on every episode and what a big part of home computing they were in the uk and it was partly my work actually for this podcast that gave me the idea for the book so uh, yes uh, you all provided some inspiration in a small way So it'll be looking at the best budget games from the six most popular 8-bit home computers in the UK um, through the sort of... We're going from kind of the mid-80s into the early 90s. So we're looking at the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, MSX, Amstrad CPC, BBC Micro, and, of course, the Atari 8-bit. So as well as game reviews, it will feature nice little snippets of trivia, developer interviews, system overviews, and guest reviews from lots of famous names like... Ashens, guru larry the retro computer museum the band the british ibm and uh, lots more lots of people have offered to to do little memories of their own in the book so i don't have a link to the crowdfunding page yet. it will be crowdfunded kind of a bit like kickstarter but the difference with how unbound do it is that they already put some of the funding in themselves which lowers the target and also, there's no deadline on the funding. So whereas Kickstarter, the campaign would run for say X amount of days, with Unbound, they just run it until it's funded. Simple nice. as that. Yeah, That's cool. so it's, a, it's a really good model, and you get a hell of a lot of creative control as well, which is good as well. So it's a really, really good model that they use. So I don't have a link yet, but um, they the the publishers have now got all the sample pages that they need to actually get get it all up and running. So. It should be going up, I believe, in about the next week or so. So hopefully, by the time this podcast goes live, we might have a a, um, a link to be able to stick up to go with it, so people can take a look at the example pages and and and, and back the book. I love Ashens, and, and it's funny
0: because I didn't realize he was into retro computers for quite some time, and then he did this thing where he you know went to like uh, there's must be a museum there, and he was able to go behind the scenes and pull out you know boxes of this old retro stuff. But the first show I saw with him was he was tasting food that was, like, extremely old. And yes. I, I just loved it. I was, like, I was repelled, but at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> strangely fascinated. So <laughs> was I've, great. I've, I've
1: met great. I've met Ashton a few times. He's a huge, huge um, ST fan and a huge Lynx <laughs> fan.
0: Oh, great. That's
1: uh, wonderful. So he, he grew up the ST and the Lynx, huge, huge fan of both. And uh, he's done two books now with, through Unbound. Um, about bad games so know if you're familiar with them but they're really good books it's already a bit featured in both books actually so wow. worth picking up the first one was called uh terrible old games that you've probably never heard of yes <laughs> and, i do remember that yeah second book is called attacker of the flickering skeletons and uh they're both really good books and in the second book attacker of the flickering skeletons um that's another thing i should have mentioned actually in the news i wrote one of the guest reviews in that book oh cool So he's, kind of, so he's returning the favor to me
0: wow but Thanks. um
1: I actually attended uh play expo in blackpool a few weeks back and um Ashens was there and he did the book signing uh, i've got to tell you about this it was, it was absolutely incredible because i didn't re- quite realize how famous he was until i did this book signing and uh, he invited me to join him for the book signing because i was there as well and obviously i was part of the book and there was uh was there four or five of us signing the books but anyway we had a queue out the door we were signing books for over four hours oh my god And girls were coming up to him. Like he was like a member of the Beatles or something, you know, crying, um, you know, in pieces going, Oh my God. Oh, getting their (laughs) photo taken with him. Honestly, it was, yeah, it it was incredible. And I I suppose it just shows sort of the power of YouTube these days, you know, of, of, of how famous people can become from doing youtube oh, it's i've incredible. never heard of this guy <laughs> really oh he's great yeah, yeah. he's worth watching yeah okay. he's got over a million subs he's one of the sort of the the most popular kind of gaming youtubers i suppose but he he does a lot of stuff um non-gaming as well so he, he likes doing things around food he's uh yes
0: <laughs> also a lot of unboxings and stuff of yes, knock-offs, yeah. Chinese knockoffs. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. He's a, he's so funny and it's just so smooth that, you know, he, it's very professional.
1: He, he's just himself, to be honest. I mean, a lot of YouTubers kind of play these characters, you know, yeah. and they go on and they, they try to do these whole personas, you know, the PewDiePie thing and do right. the stupid voices and stuff like that. And, and Stuart, I've met him say many times now, and that's how he does the videos. That's just him. That's how he's in real life. He's wow. just natural funny guy. You know, he's, yeah he's a really cool guy cool so bill what have you got to tell us well not much um
2: <laughs> see as uh, as michael mentioned um i was at vcf as well um unfortunately my my wife didn't sleep the first night so i had my kids in tow in the morning on saturday and then uh and then had the rest of the day and uh nobody from my atari table joined me at dinner so i was kind of hanging around with all these other people that they didn't know at dinner but it was fun um having pizza and stuff. Uh, and then the next day, um, my little guy was having some, uh, some tummy trouble. So <laughs> we decided <laughs> we need, we need to just get back home before there's any disasters. Um, so I packed up early and said goodbye and left. And then, uh, you know, on the car drive home, both the kids in the backseat bouncing around super happy. I'm like, Oh man, we could have stayed. And then by the time we get back, the other guy's not feeling well. So, yeah, and that turned into yeah. kind of a disaster. So it was it was it was good that we left. But yeah, I didn't I didn't get nearly what I was hoping to out of a VCF. But you know maybe i will try. Maybe I'll try going next year. Um, and uh, and see what we can do. Um, I guess my only complaint was uh even though maybe about half as many people as initially was interested in coming to do the Atari 8-bit booth uh, actually showed up. We were still super crowded. I thought <laughs> like we were just crammed in the corner with so many little Atari's hooked up that uh, it, was, it was a little bit hard to deal with. Um, but it seemed like a pretty popular table. Uh, we got a lot of games running and stuff. And uh, Derek Mahoka had a friend. Um, what was his name? Ben? I forget his name. I've met him before. He came down to the Atari party in Davis once. But he was just sitting there hacking on the Atari. Just write like, <laughs> right machine language. In data statements, off the top of his head, to do, <laughs> to do <laughs> stuff, and making these little games and having a good old time. So yeah, it was it was a uh, it was fun to watch him do that. Um, yeah, and then Kevin had a uh, a plotter printer that he brought, and uh, I guess he did a little unboxing video um, after the show from the museum, and uh, it turned out I had some some messed up pieces, but uh, apparently you can 3D print them or or buy parts somewhere or something. So he's hopefully getting his new little plotter hooked up because it was a uh, I think he got it from a um, flea market or something and it was like new in the box and sealed in 83 air coming out of it when he opened it <laughs> <laughs> but i guess the only other th- the only other atari thing i've been working on lately is uh, i've made a couple um games and one little app for uh the basic 10-liner contest that's going on right now for um the no ma'am 2008 oh, cool. yeah that's happening in april i did a um dots and boxes game because i was trying to think like man i need a real simple puzzle game so i just literally started googling easy puzzle games like for kids like <laughs> elementary school Oh, yeah, that game. So I, I, I was able to, to crank that out. Um, I did a musical keyboard where you use, like, the QWERTY keys and the number keys to play piano. Um, so that's going to be not a game category one. And a um, uh, skyscraper building game, the, the kind of game where, the like, each floor slides across the screen and you're supposed to hit the space bar or whatever at the right time to make it drop. So I, I did that. Um, and I thought that actually came out pretty well for, you know, 10 Lines of Basics. So. We'll see, we'll see uh, how I rank compared to some of these uh, really, really smart guys who've been <laughs> participating in the past couple of years. They've had to divide the, uh, the contest up into, like, are you an elite hacker using, like, you know 256 characters per line that you're not technically able to do within BASIC to make your game really cool? Or I think even this year they have, um, they've opened it up for machine language. Uh, entries that include machine language, and they're gonna they're gonna have them uh, ranked separately as well. So
0: wow, ten lines of machine language—that won't do much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, 10, ten lines of basic, crammed machine language. I mean, how many? That's uh, you know, you can probably get two hundred and fifty bytes of machine language per per line. So that's you know, that's a considerable. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's like a two K program right there. That's you know,
0: two <laughs> K. That's, that's, that's yeah. Uh, if you yeah. 10, ten lines of it, that's like a Atari 2600 six hundred game right there. <laughs> that's a Z eighty uh, one times two or a Sinclair. <laughs> I can't believe that I did BASIC on a 2K machine as a kid. Yeah, it's pretty tight. Even-
2: All right. Okay, so for our uh, first game, our XEGS game this uh, episode, we're going to talk about Necromancer. This one was uh, published by Atari Corp. Um, it was released initially in 1982 by Synapse, and then six years later by Atari in 1988. Um, the XCGS model number is RX-8108, and this is an action game developed by Bill Williams. Um, Bill Williams suffered from cystic fibrosis and uh, spent most of his life in chronic pain. Um, He knew his time was short, so he made his every action count. Um, Good Game from ABC TV in Australia has a brief biography about him, uh, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, CompuServe Cysop Dick Brzezinski, in his review of the XCGS release of Necromancer, said... A Bill Williams game is always distinctly different from anything else. Trying to describe it is a lot like trying to give a narrative description of a Beethoven symphony, the Mona Lisa, or a first kiss, which I kind of (laughs) agree with. Um, James Haig, author of uh, Halcyon Days, a collection of interviews with uh, classic computer and video game programmers, um, described him as the Stanley Kubrick of game design. (laughs) Um... His first, <clears throat> first commercial game was uh, Salmon Run in 1982, thro- uh, sold through uh, Atari Program Exchange, or Apex, um, in which you, quote, help Sam the Salmon swim upstream to spawn. Say that five times fast. Um, after 1982's uh, Necromancer, he created Relax, a biofeedback program for the Atari, and then he took over work on uh, Alley Cat, an adorable game where you play a cat attempting to leap into an apartment to steal a kiss from his favorite female feline. Boy, say that one five times fast. Um, Alley Cat is a game that I've heard a lot about over the years, like from Usenet and stuff. And I finally tried it out in the past couple years, and it is uh, it is adorable and hilarious. I think it's about the funniest game I've ever played. It's it's frantic and silly and uh, and
1: awesomely animated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never played it until recently either. It was it was probably about two years ago I played it. I've never even heard of it, and it was all I saw loads of Americans going on about it, like it was you know the most famous game ever kind of thing, you know. But I guess it just it was something that we never got in the UK. We never saw it, so I knew nothing about it. And yeah, I, I thought it was great, great game. But I'd never heard of it until um, fairly, fairly recent years, I'd say. Yeah, it's like it's like full of mini games,
2: and and uh, Necromancer is kind of similar. It's 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 a game split into like three distinct uh, sets of gameplay. Um, but we'll get into that uh, in a bit. Um, so after this, he moved to the uh, Commodore Amiga and wrote games like uh, Mindwalker, where a mentally disturbed professor must enter his own brain to repair it. And uh, Pioneer Plague, um, which is a kind of like sc- uh, overview scrolling shoot-up game um, that I remember playing on my friend's Amiga back in the 80s. And uh, I always had a vague recollection of this game. Like, I always remember, like, what was that game that my friend had on his Amiga? And now, thanks to Research for this podcast, <laughs> I I know what it is, and uh, and I've learned that it actually had a connection to the Atari through, uh, through Bill. He later worked on some NES and SNES titles for Sculptured Software, whom we've discussed uh, in the past, and um, in 1992, I actually, left the game industry and studied to be a pastor. Um, prior to his death in 1998, he wrote the book Naked Before God, The Return of a Broken Dis- uh, Disciple, uh, which was sh- published shortly after his death. Um, and Electron Dance has a great retrospective which uh, blends a short biography with the gameplay of Necromancer. So we'll have a link to it and uh, many other articles about uh, Bill Williams in our show notes. So, Necromancer. The description from the XCGS box says, The forces of light leap from your fingertips. You are Illuminar, the legendary druid sorcerer, rallying the forces of nature to combat evil. Defender of truth and freedom, only you have the power to challenge Tetragorn, the necromancer, whose black magic darkens the forest and threatens doom to its helpless inhabitants, Teshagorn rules his troops of ogres and dreaded spiders with terror. His evil poisoning—his uh, evil is poisoning the far reaches of Illuminar's forest. You must—you must stop the necromancer from dominating the entire kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Um, your ancient spells bring life to the forest, and the very trees will come to your defense. Plant new trees whenever you can, and protect them with your magic wisp. This mir- miraculous beam leaps from your fingertips to stop the ogres' clubs. Then gather your armies of oaks and descend into the spider's vaults to continue the battle against evil. Descend further to defeat the necromancer himself in his own unreal domain, a graveyard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The necromancer threatens you and saps your strength through the three levels of gameplay. Hold true and forces of light will bring you triumph in this dark encounter. Or if you're me, you might get to about uh, the second screen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, that's uh, uh, just from the description. This sounds like a very bizarre game, doesn't it? But hey, they brought it up for the XCGS, so you're sold. You just grabbed a copy off the shelf and brought it home. Now what? Um, definitely read the manual, <laughs> which I did not when I borrowed this game from a friend as a kid. Uh, I probably thought that I played the Necromancer because I was moving trees around myself. But um, anyway, so you start in a simple title screen with the game's name and copyright and a tree in the upper right corner. Its leaves and branches are randomly animated, giving you a kind of uh, blowing in the wind effect. Wind effect. Um, press start or fire to begin. is divided into three screens and how well you do on one affects the screens that follow so the first screen is the forest here you create your army of trees uh your character the illuminar stands in the center of an empty black screen Um, you control the movement of your magical wisp using the joystick it's kind of like the crosshair and missile command except for if you leave the stick centered the wisp returns to you um takes a little getting used to this control scheme Press fire to plant a seed if there's uh, space available where your wisp is. Um, If you're lucky, it'll eventually grow into a tree. Running back and forth across the screen are countless club-wielding ogres who try to attack the trees. Uh, Seedlings vanish instantly when struck by an ogre, while full-grown trees are a bit more robust. Uh, But they will get chopped down, leaving a stump, which uh, means one fewer spot to plant a new tree, so be careful. Occasionally, spiders appear. Um, If they touch a tree, they poison it. Um, It shows a glowing red face, and you hear its cry for help. Spiders can also attack you, uh, sapping your strength. You defend your trees by simply passing your wisp across the ogres and spiders to destroy them. Once in a while an iPod, uh, it's kind of an eyeball on a stick and it reminds me of the uh, Gem Eaters from Crystal Castles, appears. Um, Touch it with your wisp to gain more seeds. The number you just gained will appear momentarily. Um, You move to the next screen when you run out of strength. Many... things use up your strength including being bit by a spider, using an iPod, curing a poison tree or attacking an ogre. Um on the screen, uh one thing can increase your strength and that's attacking a spider. So it's a uh, very interesting gameplay. It's it's not timer based, it's not um you don't just lose power, you lose power doing things that you would think you wouldn't in other games maybe. So um so yeah, you need to kind of keep these things in mind as you're playing if you want to, you know, have a big forest army. Uh, so a skill level is assigned during this level based on how many trees you grow, um, even if they are later destroyed. For example, if you only manage to grow four or fewer trees before you run out of strength, you, you achieve skill level one. If you grow 15 to 19, you achieve skill level four and so forth. The skill level affects the amount of score you gain for certain actions in the latter two screens. So this is, uh, this is the game that you really have to kind of pay attention to what you're doing um, to to affect your later gameplay. So now you descend into the vaults. So um, the vaults are a collection of uh, screens containing two layers of chambers and each chamber contains a spider larva. The Illuminar uses his wisp to control the trees and they, uh, walk them over the vaults. They will take root and eventually crash into the chamber crushing the larva. So you basically, you're standing there and you, you move your wisp to a tree, and now you're controlling the tree, and now you can walk the tree back and forth across uh, the level it's on, and set it down where you want to, and, and it'll take root. Some larvae will hatch into spiders uh, in the meantime, and you uh, they can attack you and your trees. Use the wisp to shrivel them. While all this is going on, horrible hammer fists <laughs> descend into the vault and can grab you or your trees as they walk by. Sometimes they drop items, uh, rings, and mysteries. Mysteries look like little question marks. Um, rings give the Illuminar power if he collects them, so you actually need to like not be moving a tree, and you actually move your Illuminar around the screen now. Um, and mysteries uh, can actually drop or raise ladders down to the next vault. Uh, sorry, level of the vault. Um, or give you bonus points, or set up your strength. Who knows? It's all random. <laughs> Uh, if you don't pick up a ring or a mystery and uh, the hammer fist from that spot returns, it'll grab it and take it away. Uh, so you might be like halfway across the screen. You know, oh! <laughs> have to run back. So once you descend to the lowest ladder of level five, so basically the fifth screen down, you'll reach Tetragorn's Lair. So here in Tetragorn's Lair, which basically looks like a um a graveyard... Um, any of the spider larvae from the vaults will have hatched and appear in the graveyard along with the Necromancer. So basically, if you, if you don't squash a lot of spiders in the previous level, you're going to have a lot more to deal with in this level. <laughs> um, so the Tetragorn appears and disappears, leaving this cool trail of flames. But they can only appear over headstones in the graveyard, um, which you can destroy by simply walking your Illuminar across. If you clear, again, five screens of this, uh, you will finally beat him. Um, so while you're doing this and these spiders are running around attacking you um, there's a mother spider that floats around the graves and she looks for the zombie uh, zombie spiders so called if she touches one it will start flashing and become even more vicious Um, so the one thing you can do to gain strength in this uh, screen is to actually shrivel the mother spider with your wisp a very bizarre game. You know, In the first screen, you don't move your character. You just move the wisp. In the second screen, you move the wisp to move trees, or you can move yourself. Um, and then in the third screen, you and the wisp can move. So um, you probably have to practice each screen <laughs> quite a bit to get the hang of it. So for scoring, boy, I'm not going to get into it. Um, The manual collects all of the scoring in one section at the end, uh, unlike the Synapse manual from 82, where they actually spread it out across each each screen. Um, It takes about a page and a half. (laughs) So suffice it to say, many actions don't gain points, but they do affect your strength, for better or for worse. So study that to understand what is going on during this frantic game. (laughs) Uh, So some trivia as I was researching this game. Sauron, as in the eye of Sauron um, in uh, Tolkien, um, was at one point a necromancer. The Catholic Encyclopedia describes necromancy as a special mode of divination by the evocation of the dead. Understood as necromancy, like Niger, like black, um, which is the Italian, Spanish, and old French form, the term suggests black magic or black art, in which marvelous results are due to the agency of evil spirits whereas in white magic, they are due to human dexterity and trickery. So this game involves some black magic from that necromancer dude. Uh, Wikipedia describes necromancy as a supposed practice of magic involving communication with the deceased. Uh, So that explains the graveyard, I guess, either by summoning their spirit as an apparition or raising them bodily uh, like a zombie, I guess, uh, for the purpose of divination, imparting the means to foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge to bring someone back from the dead or to use the deceased as a weapon. (laughs) <laughs> get him dead joe <laughs> sick him <laughs> so um legacy there was a um an earlier cartridge version planned for release by synapse uh it would have only required 16k versus uh 32k that the disc and tape versions required um but it was never released uh so you had to wait six years for this version um and this game was ported to Commodore 64 in 1983 um so looking around where to buy uh at least when I did research a while back, um, the only place I found it were uh, Best Electronics and BNC Computer Versions both, including via their eBay stores for 29.95 US for the XE cart. Right, so review time. Michael, what did you think of this game?
0: Yeah, so I remember this game back when I was a kid. I played it a lot. It was one of the top games I had and, you know, just finding out that you know, Bill Williams. I didn't know that he had a cystic fibrosis, so that that's a huge disability. And for him to actually, you know, do a game uh, and fought through that makes me think that I'm not doing anything in my life. <laughs> I mean, like and we talked about Bob Poland. he did Blue Max. It was like his first game, and I was like, how are these people capable of doing these things? And and I guess I just got to get down to doing some coding because <laughs> I feel like I'm not I'm not fulfilling my life's destiny. So. But um as far as the graphics go, I give it a nine. Um, I think it used the full capability of the Atari, um, but it has such great attention to detail. It just feels like he's created sort of this fantasy world, and it just didn't go, uh, you know, bad guy, good guy things. You know, it seemed like there was a whole lot of thought put into it. And the animation looks great. I mean, the, t- the trees... The the leaves look like they're dancing in the wind, and it really shows personality. You know, with the face when it's in pain. The uh, orcs, uh, you know, their walking is nice and fluid, and they're two colors, so it's not just a plain you know silhouette, I guess you'd say. And the iPods kind of dance around with whimsy. Um, the second level has got tons of color, and I guess you the the called hammer fists or hands of fate. I think is what I read in one of the manuals are pretty cool coming down and, and just making it very challenging. As far as, uh, sound and music, I give it an eight. The inter-song is, is simple, but it builds subtly, and it feels like you're, uh, you're about to experience a timeless tale. The first phase music builds, and with the sound of trees in trouble drives you to want to help them, and they're really crying. The second and third levels, uh, have great music, uh, but I wouldn't say they exactly fit the the setting. It, it, the first one is really more appropriate than the second and third ones. It's still great music, it just doesn't fit exactly. As far as gameplay goes, give it a nine. This thing is challenging, and it really ramps up based on your skill set. Um, I would I would uh, you know equate it to like a roller coaster. It's like build, 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 build. Ah, oh, I got to break. Okay, build, 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 build. I got to get. You know, you're just kind of riding this roller coaster. It's just manic at times. One, uh, complaint I have is, uh, the lack of fidelity with the wisp. I mean, it's really hard, uh, in the first, uh, level to move it around. I think this game would be great with a trackball. Although on the other levels, maybe not so much. So I'd like to have seen this in arcades. I think it really could have been something that, um, could have been created for those, that setting. As far as presentation goes, I give it a seven. Uh, the main screen is simple, but, uh, actually quite effective. Uh, also what a great font. I mean, very, uh, you know, uh, ancient. In, in, in a look and really sets the mood. As far as the manual, they used different images on the cover than they did in the original game, and I was a little bit more of a fan of the original. It's still good. I just don't think it's as good. Uh, the story setup is different than the original, but still just as good. And the manual uh, that came with the disc version was pretty plain compared to this one. They actually threw in some, you know, uh, some images. You know, the the XE manuals are pretty plain to begin with, but this actually was better than the original. So I had a, a compliment on that. My final score: I gave it a strong. 8. This is a must-have game, and will bring you hours of excitement and enjoyment. And I just wish the developer was still alive, because I'd love to give him a tip of my wizard's hat to him. So, what about you, Bill? What'd you think?
2: Well, um, before I get into my thoughts, um, so you're talking about this game as an arcade game. Um,
0: Have you ever played Tron uh, in the arcade Yes, Tron and uh, Discs of Tron as well.
2: Yeah, so in, in Tron you have the um, the kind of trigger based joysticks. They got the trigger on the front, and then the the joystick you can move around. And then you've got the spinner. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine maybe something like that, or sure. or trackball and joystick at the same time. That that'd be hmm. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think that, that's the problem with the you know, trackballs are great for you know positions on screen, but as far as like navigating, I think it might be a little difficult. But I'd still like to see it. I think the you know that Wisp is just it it. it it locks to certain, you know, you're like up to the right. You know, it's it's not. It's you got the the directions. You don't have an analog. This is actually an analog. This would be perfect for yeah. 5200.
2: Yeah, that's, I was just thinking that. Yeah, for 5200. Um, and then uh, yeah, since it doesn't recenter. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It'd, be, it'd definitely be interesting to see. Yeah. How people could hack this. Um, but anyway. So so yeah, I played this ages ago. Um, I probably borrowed a disc from one of my couple of Atari owning friends back in middle school or high school. Um, unlike Pioneer Plague on the Amiga, I never forgot this game's name, but I never really m- went back and, uh, played it again until now, um, for the podcast. So I definitely find it at least as difficult as I did when I was a kid. Um, I definitely never have gotten to the Tetragorn either then or now. And, uh, yeah, so thank goodness for YouTube videos to show me what it's all about. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's actually a few, from from the Wikipedia article on this game, there's a couple, um, links to YouTube videos that just show each each level's gameplay. So, broken into three three uh, sets. Um, so for ratings uh, graphics, I give it a 7. Um, like like you said, Michael, there's a lot of motion on the screen. You got the the f- flames flickering on the Tetracorn screen. You got the branches wiggling. The, randomly, it's not just like a repeating pattern. It's definitely like they're doing things more procedurally. Um, nice use of display list interrupts uh, to give a sense of depth to the volts. Um, I compared it to the uh, Commodore 64 version where they've not got nearly as many colors. And yeah, it's definitely just like all flat purple um, rather than kind of like darkening off into the distance to make you think you're going into the depths. Sound of music, I give it give it a seven. Um, it's got a lot of non square wave sounds, so um, it, it sounds kind of like honky and beepy and grindy. I, I don't know, like how to describe the sounds on a, on some twenty six hundred games, but definitely has more of a twenty six hundred kind of sound to me, um, which is okay. I mean, it definitely like this feels like this is an Atari game, like on on either of those systems. Um, but yeah, so so the music you're talking about, like on the title screen and, and in game and stuff, it seems definitely procedural. It's not like he's got you know, uh, music composed that it just plays through. It, it seems to be kind of random and based on some rules and and affected by the gameplay, affected by like, how many ogres are on the screen or, or what have you, um, which is cool. Gameplay, I give it a six. It's it's fun and diverse, but it's, uh, to me, it's a bit too hard and unforgiving for my tastes. I would, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd show it off to somebody and say, here's this game, have fun, try it out, but, like, I'm not gonna sit down and play it because I got other games I can play, I think. Um, presentation um i give it a five the box and manual are sufficient uh, i didn't i didn't pay attention to the fact that the the cover uh imagery was different from the original synapse version um it's uh it, it definitely looks more 70s than late 80s <laughs> yeah yeah like it could be on the side uh, of a van or something <laughs> <laughs> one of those vans i would avoid yes yeah. um smelly vans um so the the title screen uh kind of splits in two as you start so it, it's there's a little bit of a transition and then it kind of reappears between each level so the, the the title screen squishes down and then and then opens back up kind of like uh curtains almost uh to bring you to the next level and that's cool um and yeah i, I really like that fantasy. I, I wrote fantasty <laughs> <laughs> the fantasy font the fantasy font in there uh kind of reminds me of like uh, uh alternate reality very um Kind of oldie, tiny font. So I'll give this one overall a 7. Uh, don't skip buying it if you can, if you can get it for, for uh, relatively cheap. So, Karen, what did you think of this game?
1: Yeah. So this was um, one of the original games I actually got in my Zegs um, when I first picked it up, and I'd never, ever played it before. so Or even heard of it, for that matter. So I was um, very surprised by it um, in a good way. So, first of all, the graphics. Um, I love the visuals in Necromancer, especially on the first level where the trees literally sparkle as they plume. There are some really nice little touches here, I think. I know you guys um, touched on it, especially, um, Michael, you know, you, you talked about the, s- the same things, the trees sparkling and, and almost coming to life in front of you. Yeah. And I think it was it, a wonderful touch. I, I think the the whole visual design of the game is is. Ending, um especially for the time it was made as well sound and music um, i really like the haunting melodies in this game um i consider listening to that opening tune for quite some time when i first turn it on in fact i have done on many occasions uh almost you kind of was waiting to see where it's going and it kind of doesn't go anywhere but it keeps you hooked listening to it it's you know kind of haunting and uh yeah really good I also liked the suitably noisy pokey effects during the game. Um, they're just what the doctor ordered. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, very, very good game when it comes to, to sound overall. So gameplay, um, again, a nine. I think uh, the game is just so totally original, it's hard not to give it a high rating. Uh, OK, you know, Bill, you mentioned that the, the challenge involved and uh, it took me I don't even remember how many goes to actually get to grips with it. And I had the car only. So I first few goes, I was like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> I didn't have a flipping clue. So I went on uh, online. I went on Atari mania. I think probably it was Atari mania where I found the manual. I went, ah, and then went back to it and enjoyed it a lot more. So, uh, the challenge certainly didn't stop my enjoyment of the game. though. Uh, the gameplay style means that I think the more you learn the game and it's various little quirks, the, you'll get on it so i think it's got a a good curve there in the difficulty presentation went for eight i really like the box art the game has a nice opening screen and all in all i think it's just uh, a pretty well put together professional package so with that my overall rating for the game is a nine of the original 14 games i got with my zegs necromancer was undoubtedly my favorite one and the one i i definitely played the most so I've given it a lot more playtime over the years than probably 90% of the other carts I've I've got in my Zegs collection, so I think it'll always be a favourite of mine. I think the the Zegs needed more great games like that converted over to it, and uh, ones that gave it a real point of difference from the NES titles at the time, because Atari's advertisement was very much aimed, you know, of the 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 NES being the the kids' toy and the you know the Zegs being the sort of real man's computer. You know, you can add a keyboard, you can add a disk drive, you know, you can't do that with your kiddie Nintendo. You know, it was it was all that on the adverts. And I think they should have got a lot more games like Necromancer that were that were totally different to the you know the games on the you know the sega Nintendo consoles that were around at the time. I think um it would have made it a lot more interesting. Uh it's strange that they didn't actually license more Synapse titles to put onto to, to, to cartridge. I, I do Wonder what their thinking was sometimes in in the, the the games that they 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 did license. To be honest,
0: yes, yeah, and put out a ton of great games. It was one of the top yeah. developers back in the day.
1: Yeah, no doubt. But to them and Broderbund, uh, you know, they should have literally just taken their whole catalogues really, yeah, um, to put onto the Zegs. So the uh, external reviews for Necromancer on Atari Mania it currently has seven point seven out of ten from three hundred twenty eight votes. So very solid score there. Um, Atari HQ gave it 8 out of 10 down the board. Graphics, sound, gameplay overall, so they liked it as well. Video Game Critic, who I find is quite often a little bit harsh with Atari stuff, uh, to be honest, gave it a D plus, stating Necromancer is one of those games whose whole is less than the sum of its parts. It takes a while to figure out, and once you do, you may be so sorry you ever bothered. But everyone seems to disagree with him, because the 19 votes by readers give it a B overall. I didn't even hear about this website. I had to go to it. And I was like,
0: "Why are you so harsh on this? It's, that's terrible."
1: Uh, I, I've had a problem with quite a few of his reviews. If you, uh, <laughs> he, he, he definitely doesn't seem to to like Atari very much in general, because mm. if you, especially if you read his Links and Jaguar reviews, he's he's like really harsh on some of the games. Wow. And you'll see him game give games like an F, and like the reader's rating is B. You know, wow. and it's like <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong when you're giving it an F, but everyone else is giving it a B. You know. Um, yeah. yeah, he's really harsh. And it, he'll make a point of saying, you know, Atari games suck, but this one was kind of okay. You know, and oh, he says God. that a lot, a lot, you know. you'll <laughs> be like, yeah, you can't take a guy seriously when he keeps saying the same line. Exactly. So we're going to look at the budget game now. Excelsior, not Excelsior. As um, when I was, um, every time you look up this this game, uh, Google would say, Did you mean Excelsior? Yeah. And it's got a
2: picture of Stan Lee. Yeah.
1: Right? <laughs> no, Google. I did not mean Excelsior. I meant Excelsior, which is a very strange name for the game, but that's what it's called. So it was released by Players Software in 1986. Players were, uh, for those who don't know, a little, little bit of trivia here, the budget label of Interceptor Micros. Um, but they. Uh, Actually, became probably bigger than the parent label, so to speak. Uh, Interceptor Micros pretty much stopped publishing games and, and just published everything under Players, and then they created another label called Players Premier later on to to sell more expensive stuff. So such was the reputation of Players. But uh, the game is a shoot 'em up and was programmed by Keith Howling Mad Harvey. So the description from the back of the cassette tape cover. Equipped with only your Excelsior jetpack, you must rescue the human soul stars trapped and hung, suspended in space by an alien force. From the instructions, it is the year 2136. Discovery of molecular transportation has brought about a new method of travel. Now you can be beamed to any part of the planet in seconds. There are 16 transporter pads scattered precariously about that are not very easy to reach due to the surrounding lethal mines. All makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, an alternative life force has been monitoring the humans. The aliens are able to intercept those brief moments during the transportation process and separate the soul from the body. Leaving dead matter for the the beings to feed on. Very cheery. (laughs) The human souls are then sealed in pure nexus energy and left suspended eternally. And these become soul stars. So from the title screen, you're urged to press fire to energize. The game screen is divided up into four areas. The top shows your score, the high score in large letters. Below that is the top of the gameplay area showing a city skyline at the distance. The rest of the gameplay area is a large gradient containing three pedestal like structures of varying heights. These are the transporter pads with mines scattered around them and what seems to be mountains in the distance at the bottom. At the very bottom of the screen, it shows the current round number, the number of soul stars you still have to collect in this round, and your remaining lives. Controls. Using the joystick, you can walk left and right on the ground or thrust yourself up into the sky, either straight or at an angle. If you let go of up, you'll drop back down. You can still move left and right while you fall. There is no acceleration in this game. Your thrust is instant and you fall at a constant rate. So movement is either straight up or down. At 45 degree angles. Pressing fire to shoot your laser in the direction you're facing, left or right, and press space to pause. Enemies and obstacles there are aliens, the soul suckers, the nexus pulsars, and beam energy. Soul stars and scoring. The soul stars appear one at a time in random parts of the larger, lower section of the gameplay area and a little hard to discern from minds at times. You get 50 points for collecting a soul star and advance to the next round once you've collected enough of them. Destroying the Soul Sockers is worth 26 points. Shooting a Nexus Pulsar is worth 100 points per hit. And uh, apparently Bill said he had no problem playing this on a Atari 800 emulator in NTSC mode. So it seems, uh, unlike some of the other budget games I've uh, picked out, it seems to work fine on NTSC consoles, which is good. Mm-hmm. So the legacy of the game, uh, Stratosphere Excelsior 2, was released in 1987, again by players. And the game wasn't ported to any other systems at all. So it was an Atari 8-bit exclusive. Where to buy? One on eBay, a uh, buy it our price, listed in mid-October. And it was $8.65 USD from the Netherlands. Atari <laughs> Mania has a copy of a standalone executable rather than a cassette tape dump, which makes it more versatile. No other ports were released, so nothing to mention there. And apart from the sequel, the only other game that the author made for the Atari 8-bits was Bubble Trouble, which was also released by players. So, Michael, what did you think of the game?
0: Yeah, so I'd never played this game before, um, and I played it for a little while. And I said, you know, I gave the graphics a 7 out of 10. Um, I think it provides a wonderful world of color and this is where the, the game actually shines. I feel like the developer knew a little bit more about the Atari's capabilities than the average budget game developer. Sound of music? Um, so the funny thing was, is as soon as I started playing the game, my daughter walked in and she goes, what's that annoying <laughs> intro music? And it was just like, it's like an alarm. And I was like, yeah, I kind of have to agree, um, with that. Um, but when it came to the other noises, again, there was, I didn't hear anything special. Nothing really stood out. So, yeah, five for that. Gameplay, I give it a five. Uh, I think it th- would have been better if the physics were a little bit more realistic instead of the instant up, instant down thing, more of a thrust, like, you know, asteroids type. Um, it's so abrupt, I have a hard time with the fidelity getting between, you know, getting to the soul stars and not hitting everything, like the mines and the aliens. And as far as the, the presentation, I give it a four. Um, the box looked kind of generic. I mean, it was, it looked like they just taken some box, you know, art and, uh, put pictures on it. There was a spaceman in a spacesuit on the, on the front and the back was just some shots of the game. So, wasn't anything special. Um, so that's, uh, I give it a final score of six. And like I said, although it looks nice, uh, you know, it's at the level of a typed in program, in my opinion.
2: So. Yeah, yeah, like this would be an analog magazine or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> about that level, right. So, what about you, Bill?
2: All right, so, um, yeah, graphics, I gave it a four. Um, so, it uses the DLIs for for some extra colors, but uh, it just basically seems to be like more shades of brown for that, that background gradient. Um, the sprites are low res, uh, which surprises me because since the game doesn't really have you know a variety of screens or or much of anything going on um it's not like they really needed to save those you know half a kilobyte for for ram resolution or for for sprite resolution um but you know maybe maybe it comes out to be faster and smaller that way maybe it'll fit fit on a 16k system you know Uh, the
1: colors you know the colors change on later levels don't you i guess maybe i didn't get that far (laughs) (laughs) is it still is it still the same
2: like just a gradient of one color right
1: yeah, got yeah, kind of that green blue. Yeah, they change on that levels.
0: Well, and the aliens change not, as well too.
1: It's so. not always Commodore 64 brown. It's it's, it's that's uh,
2: Okay, that's good. <laughs> you, you, you admit it, Commodore 64 doesn't have that many browns though, you know. <laughs> I, I, okay. I think the Commodore has like the most in blues. I think it has like a couple blues and a couple grays and then everything else is like one or two. Anyway, um, so the sound of music, uh, yeah, that constant klaxon noise was pretty annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, the other sounds are are suitable; they're just not great. Uh, it sounds kind of again like I keep comparing these games to twenty six hundred games. Um, it sounds like something that I could write in a for loop in Atari Basic, you know. Not not that it would be, not that it would sound well in a game in Atari Basic because it you know slow down and stuff. But um, you know, if I wanted to write these sound effects, I'm sure I could write them in a couple lines of Basic. Um, the gameplay, um, yeah, with something like Defender available, like a, a scrolling three D shooter that has a little bit more depth and and relatively easier controllers uh, controls. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy this game that much. It was it was kind of a frustrating and, and like why does this exist? <laughs> so yeah, presentation two. Um, the, the insert art, uh, I guess it relates to the game that the picture in the middle of the astronaut. Um, he looks like he's holding his apple to get his. Teacher, but I guess maybe that's supposed to be. I'm not sure. It doesn't look like anything from in the game. Um, so overall, uh, it's not like terrible, terrible, but it's not inspiring. Like if you just want to like shoot stuff for a while, that might be a, a nice quick one to, to fire up. But uh, mm. so many, even other budget games, I'd rather play than this one. Sadly. So okay, Kieran, what about you? You're always you're always much nicer to these games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I
1: will reading about your scores. I was going to ask another game of Bill hates. I'll, 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 I'll get it right eventually. I'll, I'll find one he likes eventually. Once you get Zybex. oh uh, yeah, Zybex. That, Great. That, that's that's on the list. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> although I think everyone liked Ninja, didn't they? Everyone liked yes. Ninja. Yeah, yes. Ninja was pretty. Yeah, Ninja. Yeah. yeah, that was <laughs> impressive. Yeah, that's that's all right then. So I first came across this title actually when I was doing research for the podcast because um, early, quite early on, I did actually sit there on Atari Mania. Uh, looking up budget games and i wrote myself like a little list of games that i thought were were worthy of covering and then i've kind of tried to mix them up by publisher so we're not always covering games for the same publishers either so um yeah uh because I, I wasn't familiar with it i never seen it before it went straight on the list and that was all explained when i discovered it was notorious bit exclusive uh so that explained why i'd never seen it before because i was very familiar with players but mainly from owning a spectrum as a kid so uh yeah that's why i've never seen this title before so yeah graphics eight i actually like the visuals mainly because i mentioned they do actually change later on i could be able to see but they do actually get better as the game goes on but uh firstly they are quintessentially atari eight bits uh one look at them tells you that it's on the atari eight bit like we were saying the commodore 64 doesn't have that many shades of brown has a lot but not that many uh That helps set the game apart from uh, the many Commodore 64 and Spectrum ports you got with a lot of budget games. The chunky sprites didn't bother me at all, as I felt it actually helped them stand out from the backgrounds. Sound and music, seven. uh, Noisy, pokey effects are the order of the day here. Again, it's easy to tell. This is is an Atari game just by listening to it. Gameplay, seven. I enjoyed the arcade-style action. The challenge is good, and although it takes some time to master the game fully, I think once you do, uh, you can get a lot of fun out of it. Presentation six, the box art is is nice enough. Pretty standard for the time, really. The title screen is pretty decent too. Nothing special, but no real complaints. So overall seven, I can see why others might not like this game so much. (coughs) Bill! (laughs) Um, As on my first few goes, I found myself getting pretty annoyed with it. But once you tough it out and learn how the game works, you'll actually have a pretty rewarding title on your hands and one that I would have been very happy paying two pounds for back in the day and I think that's always one of the key things you know when you're saying budget games right. because in the UK you could have bought this game for two pounds
2: yeah. necromancer.
1: well necromancer was probably 20 pounds
2: so yeah so uh yeah I mean it still to me seems like a game it would have been in a, in a, in a Type in game in a magazine that you could have got for free from the library or like as a hand me down or something though. So <laughs> <laughs> two pounds is too much for me. Sorry,
0: Aww. I hand me down.
2: That's, I'm willing this game to you. Well, Thanks, no, that's that, that's where I got that's where I got all the magazines. It's just people offloading. I'm done um, with my Atari's.
1: Here's a bunch of compute <laughs> magazines, and I was like, ah, oh,
2: treasure troves.
0: Yes, that's
1: true. <laughs> that's true. Uh. So uh, external reviews, um, Atari Mania. It's got a 7.1 out of 10 from 10 votes. So most people quite liked it. The A to Z of Atari 8-bit games volume 2 by me that I mentioned earlier, I gave it 7 out of 10, the same as I did here. No surprise there. And the High Retro Game Lord uh, has quite a good channel on YouTube if you're not familiar with it, because he's got pretty much every game on there. And he gives a rating, a hand rating, and he gave it a thumbs up. So with him, it either gets thumbs up, thumbs down, or it gets a meh, where it's kind of a thumb in the... Sideways position, but yes, he quite liked it.
0: So we're the, now they're the, the video game critic of the of the day for this game. Then, <laughs> Bill yeah. and I.
1: Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Atari sucks.
0: Yeah. Atari Cold sucks. But. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. yeah. Give me Super Mario. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Mama mia.
0: Okay, for uh, user feedback, not exactly feedback, but uh, the real bounty Bob did reach out to us and ask us to mention the Atari age 8-bit high score club that was happening back in January a little late on that. Um, but you know I told him I said we probably wouldn't be able to get the, uh, the word out before it ended and he says that's okay, just get it out. I'd be happy about that. And I told him to let you know let us know ahead of time and so we can you know for the next one that r- comes around, we'll definitely let everybody know that it's coming up and they can participate.
1: That's about it for user feedback. Oh, just reminded me, actually, um, yeah. a, a bit of feedback. I should have stuck this in, actually. But, uh, um, I mentioned earlier about, you know, we had our little Tory Lynx diversion in one of the previous episodes. And uh, we've had a little ST diversion. Um, I was actually speaking to a few people on uh, Facebook the other day. Um, Jeff Fulton, Steve Fulton, they're, they're t- t- two of the names that I remember. We well, actually really enjoyed our little diversion into the Lynx and ST. Yeah, okay. and, uh, and and said it was a shame that we didn't do Lynx and ST podcasts as well. So <laughs> and they're, they're covered. Yeah, yeah.
2: We got, we got Wade and Versatasky, uh, and and Mark doing theirs. Although Wade's kind of he's redoing his sixteenth He thinks he's gonna he's wrapping it up into the and uh, Versatasky podcast. And and is I guess a little bit hiatus in terms of the ST. Um and is gonna figure out how he wants to do it in the future. So but you know, even as a non saint person it was definitely interesting to, to, to listen to to kinda get oh, yeah. that new kind of view of the history because I wasn't into it then. Oh so. good.
1: Okay.
2: All right, well that's it for this episode. It was good podcasting with you guys.
0: Yeah.
1: Nice meeting
2: you in person for five minutes there. Michael. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll do it once
0: a year. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to get together again sometime soon. And, and, Too much and of each other. You know, that five
2: minutes and we're done. Oh, yeah. I'm mad <laughs> here. I'm mad. I'm leaving this place. <laughs> <laughs> all anyway. Right. All right. Well, yeah. Hopefully okay. we'll get David next time joining
0: yep. us. So well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. See you next time. Adios. Adios. You Bye. Bye. In our next episode, we put on the gloves and get in the ring to go toe-to-toe with Accolade's boxing game Fight Night. And although revenge is sweet, will Jeff Minter's Revenge 2, a follow-up to his Revenge of the Mutant Camels, be a tasty treat? You can find our latest episodes, news, and information on our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We also have links on there, so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to thank ComputeHer for giving us permission to use her song, Software, as our show's theme song. You can visit ComputeHer at ComputeHer.com, that's ComputeHer.com, for more information. Also thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Mania database, Wikipedia, and other fine results of Google searching. We are part of the Throwback Network, a group of podcasters with one thing in common. We all love old things. Whether it's old video games, old movies, old toys, or simply old stories, the Throwback Network is the place to find them all. Visit ThrowbackNetwork.net to learn more. We are also part of the Retro Junkies Network, a network of like-minded retro enthusiasts who like to keep things clean and family-friendly. Our content ranges from retro gaming, retro movies, retro TV shows, retro music, and basically anything retro that is worth remembering. Find us at theretrojunkies.com Wait, we're supposed to listen
2: to our own podcast? (laughs) 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 Sorry. Go on, no, you know
0: I, you know I obsessively listen to it, yeah, yeah, well, I listen to it many times, cause I do all the editing to the uh-huh. point where, <laughs> to the point where it's torture. <laughs>